This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Miller near board. the slot. Right side, Pedersen back to Besser. He scores, and that's point number 100 for Elias Pedersen. Besser tucks it into the net, but then pulls the puck out himself and grabs it. Elias Pedersen has 100 points this season, and the Canucks lead 1-0. Nito Hirose has it behind his own net. Hirose with a stretch pass. Here's a breakaway. Kuzmenko in alone. He scores! Andre Kuzmenko has his 39th goal of the season. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Giuseppe with a shot, rebound, they score. JT Miller at the top of the crease, jams it home. So that should be Pedersen's 101st point of the season, and the Canucks have the lead back in 3-2. On the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks win, beating the Anaheim Ducks 3-2, and this is the Canucks Central postgame show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar, and as always, keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650, or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. The Canucks, they win 3-2 over this Anaheim Ducks team. We'll bring in... Brendan Batchelor into the conversation in just a moment's time here, Bick. But really, the story of this game, outside of what it does to the standings and, you know, getting closer to that number 10 overall uh, spot in terms of the draft and 11th with this victory here. Outside of that, Elias Pettersson up to 101 points on the season. Andre Kuzmenko, 39th goal of the season. JT Miller, 80th point of the season and 200th goal. So it was really about the numbers tonight. Oh, yeah. They got some very vital stats. Uh, so now we're kind of on Kuzmenko and Besser watch, I guess. Can Besser clip his highest point total and can Kuzmenko get to 40? Uh, but big shout out to JT Miller. We, we talked about uh, Patterson already. Miller gets his 200th career goal, 105 of which are in Vancouver. Uh, so been his most productive spot, obviously. And also uh, gets his 80th point of the season. 80 is not necessarily a banner number, but he, he becomes a point-to-game player is the big thing. Yeah, uh, he will be a point-to-game player uh, for the season. I mean, he I guess technically, if he doesn't get a point the next game, and that'll be game number 81 for him, he would be below a point-per-game, mm-hmm. but more or less but cementing it, himself as a point-per-game player this year. 80 as it points. stands right now. Exactly, exactly. 80 points. And and I think that's the thing to, to take away from JT Miller's season, or at least getting back to being that productive player again. All right, let's bring in Brandon Bassler into the discussion. And, and Batch, I mean, outside of these guys hitting milestones, uh, did you have another takeaway from this hockey game here between the Canucks and Ducks? Uh, not really. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. you know a game that doesn't mean a whole lot for either team. You know, at times it was apparent that that was the case, but I thought it was important for the Canucks after kind of wilting a little bit in the second period and letting Anaheim back into the game to come out and take control of things in the third period, and they did that right away inside the first two minutes with the goal by Miller. Um, You know, Pedersen two points tonight, so he's up to 101 on the season. Uh, Kuzmenko scores on a power play, even though he'd been moved down the lineup at five on five. So in terms of things we can actually analyze from this game, it's all individual performances rather than the team performance because, look, this is not a very good Anaheim Ducks team. At this point, this is a Canucks team that is not going to even closely resemble the roster that you know we'll see start the year next year. So you can't really reach any grand sweeping conclusions about anything other than individual performances, and that's sort of what I take away from this game tonight. 
Did Akito Orozzi play like a top four D-man, speaking of grand sweeping conclusions? <laughs> no, but yeah, that play is kind of cool, That uh, the, the assist he made. Yeah, you know, it, it was a great play. And, you know, he has a couple minor penalties tonight as well, which you don't necessarily like as much, but it shows that he's involved and in the battle. And uh, if you're a defenseman that's like that, you're going to – take penalties on occasion but look I've made no bones about the fact that I'm incredibly impressed with this kid and he continues to deliver in situations that he's put into whether it's on the power play you know setting up the Kuzmenko goal whether it's on the penalty kill they're trusting him in that sort of situation too his hockey IQ is sort of the buzzword we've heard about him but his skating ability is good he's very elusive he makes smart plays up the ice with the puck you know, at, at the very least, this kid deserves a chance to come in and compete for a roster spot next year at training camp because I know, you know, a lot of these games late in the year don't have a lot of stakes and a lot of pressure, and you want to see all these guys get a chance, but at the same time, you need to have internal competition at camp next year. But, you know, in terms of ticking the boxes that you would like to see from a young player coming into the lineup and getting his chance to play his first few NHL games, Akito Hirose has ticked every box for me. I've been so impressed with the way he's played. Thatcher Demko, too. This was, you know, there were some necessary five alarm saves required, and it's just another marker for him to say, hey, I've, I'm back to my physical self and I can make all these saves all over again. Yeah, in particular, the, the double stop on Grant and Silverberg yeah. in the third period where he had to react with the left pad and hold it out. That's sort of vintage Thatcher Demko, and you know, look, even though the Canucks, you know, I think were probably the better team through the 60 minutes tonight, uh, they still needed their goaltender to bail them out in a pretty key situation in the third period. So, you know, that that speaks to the fact that they still got work to do because this is an Anaheim team that you shouldn't be in that situation against. But uh, Demko continues to do it. So you'll never apologize for having good goaltending, but they need to find a way to make sure they don't need it as much as they have in recent years going forward. Yeah, and I mean, when we look at, you know, you're right, about the rest of the season, looking at long-term, I mean, it really does just kind of become about the big picture with this team now with one more game to go in the season, and that is in Arizona against the Coyotes. And, I mean, we look at that team, the... um, the Anaheim Ducks tonight and, and, and kind of how their season has gone. And it's funny because they kind of needed this loss with the Chicago Blackhawks <laughs> losing. So you got to wonder a little bit, especially with how long it took for Dallas Eakins to pull the goalie. Like, did the Ducks really want to win this hockey game or not? But I think when the focus kind of becomes about, hey, the, the draft lottery and teams not putting their best foot forward, I guess the only question is, are we going to see the team really try hard on, on, on the final game of the season against the uh, Arizona Coyotes? Yeah, you always will, right? Like Rick Tockett wouldn't expect anything other than that. But at the same time, it's Colin Delia we're expecting to start on Thursday, not Thatcher Demko. Uh, we'll see what they do in, in terms of the lineup. But obviously the forward lines were put in the blender tonight, and he kind of stacked up that D. Giuseppe Pedersen-Miller line. So we'll see if we see that on Thursday. And, you know, the interesting thing in terms of looking at that game and thinking about their potential to either win or lose it is the Coyotes have actually played them pretty well this year. Um, you know, even though that's an Arizona team that also doesn't have a lot of talent, also is near the bottom of the, the standings in the NHL. Uh, but they play hard. And, you know, 
I would imagine that they will do the same on Thursday because they've been playing a lot of games that haven't mattered for quite a while, uh, you know, as have the Canucks really for the most part. But I, I would imagine that Rick Tockett wants his troops to head into the summer on the back of a good performance. So as much as I know many people outside in the fan base would love to see them lose and solidify the lowest spot they can possibly get in the standings, I don't expect that to happen. These are pro hockey players. They're going to do their best. So what's the next uh, stat that we're keeping an eye on that, that you want to see, I guess, clipped on Thursday? Yeah, probably Kuzmenko, 40 goals. Mm-hmm. That's the one that seems the most possible. He's only a goal away from it, although he's been moved down the lineup at even strength. He wasn't on the top power play unit tonight. Phil Giuseppe replaced him uh, in, in that spot, which is not a sentence I thought I would be saying uh, even a few weeks ago. Um, but it's clear that Kuzmenko is being sent a message right now. But at the same time, every time Rick Tockett has done that, whether it's been a benching or a decrease in minutes or demoting him down the lineup, he always seems to give him an opportunity again afterwards to try and bounce back and show that he can improve in the areas of the game that the coaching staff wants him to. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see him back up the lineup on Thursday. And, you know, I think it's an interesting conversation because I know there's a lot of talk on our airwaves and in the fan base about how, you know, Kuzmenko has sort of been, I don't know if you want to call it picked on, but he's a guy that has received more attention, at least, shall we say, for some of the the tactics that Tockett is using to try to get the best out of him. Um, You know, he moves him down the lineup tonight. He moves him off the top power play unit. I don't think that's an indication of what's going to come for Kuzmenko, though, because when this team comes back and starts playing games in October and they really matter and they need points and they want to have a strong start to the year, Rick Tockett's not going to be able to afford to keep a you know 39-goal scorer at this point, potentially 40-goal scorer off the ice late in games if he needs goals. So that's what these you know quote-unquote mean-nothing games afford the head coach the opportunity to do right now is to you know send some messages to players and Kuzmenko has certainly been at the top of that list in terms of the message sending but in terms of expecting this to carry forward to next season I would be surprised if we see things like Kuzmenko benched in the third period of close games or demoted down the lineup if the Canucks really need guys to produce offense because if there's one thing Andre Kuzmenko can do it's score and he's done it with regularity to this point in the season. Uh, he has in a massive way here, right? And uh, before we let you go, I did want to just ask about JT Miller in a season he's had now. And yeah. Dick and I are going to kind of dig into this a bit more as she's uh, as the post-game show goes on. But Bo Horvat now has 70 points on the season, 38 goals. He signed a contract worth $8.5 million per year, eight years, $68 million total money. Dylan Larkin signed his contract, you know, uh, eight years, $70 million, right? You look at the free agent class, not a lot of players available, right? They're, it's a very thin class, and even some of the guys available are Boston Bruins, so you know they're not going anywhere, guys like Krejci and Bergeron, for instance. So if JT Miller was a free agent and hit the market this offseason, off an 80-point year now, is he getting more or less than the contract he signed for? Yeah, it's an interesting question because the difference between him and the players that you mentioned is age, right? He's a little bit older than than guys like Mm -hmm. Horvat and Larkin. But that said, you don't find guys that can produce a point a game. They don't grow on trees. Um, And, you know, I know there's still a game left in the season, but the obvious jumping off point from that question in terms of whether Miller would get more or not. And I think, you know, the open market can be crazy. 
you know, there might be a little bit more cap space. At, you know, what are we expecting the cap to go up a million bucks? So not a ton, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're all you need is one team to to give you a, a higher offer. So it wouldn't surprise me if Miller, you know, hypothetically was going to the open market. If, you know, the, the number on his contract would be a little bit higher. But as I as I was sort of getting to the jumping off point for that is what does that mean for his trade value? And I know there's still a game left in the season and we don't want to start, you know, getting back into this conversation that we had all of last summer. But it does make you wonder if the Canucks are open to exploring that. Is there a better market for JT Miller now than maybe there was last year? Getting back to the conversation. We never left that conversation. (laughs) Well, I left it for a while. I stopped talking about it, but no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I understand that, you know, with the way things have gone here over the last few years, the the most interesting storylines are the ones that happen away from the ice, and I think that's probably what we're setting up for again, where the off season is going to be very dramatic, I would expect. Um, I know we, you know, I'm not going to go as far as to say there will be sweeping changes, because I know we all did that last this time last year and it didn't necessarily materialize at the start of the season the same way that we thought it would although certainly this club found a way to make some big changes in season but um, you know these are the the things we'll be talking about over the next few weeks as the playoffs get underway and the Canucks aren't in them and JT Miller has had a really strong finish here he's up to 18 points in his last 14 games Um, you'd expect him to end the season as a point a game player and for a guy that certainly had his ups and downs this year, it feels like he's really taken ownership of a bigger role since Bo Horvat left. Um, you know, up to more than 55% in the faceoffs coming into the game tonight as well. So that's an area that he's really taken some responsibility since Horvat departed too. So I could see it going both ways where if there's value for Miller, is there a chance the Canucks explore moving him? Certainly there is because they're going to need cap flexibility and there's only so many ways you can create it. But at the same time, JT Miller is such an important part of this team right now that that would be a big hole you'd have to fill if you mm-hmm. move him off the roster. So it's going to be fascinating to see how things transpire when it comes to JT Miller and when it comes to you know the whole of this roster especially when you look at some of the names that are playing right now on the list of injuries. You know, I read off the scratches before every game, and it takes me like 10 minutes to do it. <laughs> yeah, got a million guys out on the injured list right now. So, you know, we'll have one more game here on Thursday, and then it'll be interesting to see how much the roster that starts in October resembles what we're seeing right now. I would imagine it doesn't look very similar. Yeah, I can expect, I think we can all expect uh, some changes, some pretty big changes, and we'll see ultimately how far that goes. But Batch, we still have one more game to go before we dive into those discussions full on and head first, and that is the game in Arizona against the Coyotes on Thursday. We look forward to your call alongside Randy Janda, and we'll chat with you again come Thursday pregame. Sounds good. Have a good show, boys. Uh, thank you. That's Brandon Batchelor. And you keep getting your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. Canucks win 3-2 over the Anaheim Ducks. And on the JT thing there, you know, we're just kind of wrapping it up on, um, you know, the type of season he's having. And he is 30th in the league in scoring, Bick. Is that correct? Uh, so after tonight, uh, for JT, he will move into about 34th. Uh, hang on, let me bring this up because uh, I had it up earlier. My yes. Bad. This is terrible radio. Uh, he will move into a tie for 
29th. 29th. So tie for 29th. Oh, sorry. Tie for 27th. 27th in scoring, right? And so Patterson is top 10 in scoring. You have JT, who's top 30 in scoring. When you look at the discussion or hear the discussion trading JT Miller, the question is, does the organization feel like they have two centers capable of being top 30 point scorers, which they clearly are capable of doing. If you look at teams that are competitive and go deep, they usually have two lines with two guys that can really drive and then give you points like that, right? If they believe JT's that guy to give him the contract, now second season about a point per game, if you're looking to trade him or at all considering it, that's the bar you have to pass. So no matter how flawed JT is, and we can sit here and talk about JT's issues, but if you want to be competitive next year and beyond the next few years, if JT plays at this level, it's not going to be an easy thing to replace. So it really comes down to what is your true priority the next couple of years? And if it is to win and be a contender in the next three to, three to four years, can you do that moving JT? So again, coming back to it and seeing his production and seeing how he's finishing the season, I just, I just don't know how you're replacing that if your goal is to be a playoff team next year and to be a contender. Yeah, one of the arguments I'm, I'm here for then in, in that scenario where people want to see him moved is, does it open up a longer window, right? Because the big question, and you know, even Jim Rutherford has said that on these airwaves, is how does the first part of the contract compare to the back end of the part contract and what what's the player going to perform like? It's not about a seven-year window with JT. Yes. It becomes a four- to five-year window for what you can accomplish here while Thatcher Demko has a yeah. cheaper contract, while Quinn Hughes is locked up. Like, that's the window they're trying to maximize here. So, in saying that, what you have to explore then is, if you're going to make moves, are, is the player we're going to bring in going to extend that window and perform at such a level? So, I can take a lesser player, no problem, but I need a benefit of that. And if the benefit is extending a five-year window to nine years because of the amount of assets you're bringing in and how you can build this out with an extra bit of cap space, then okay, look, I'm, I've said this before. It's not necessarily, quote-unquote, admitting a mistake. If you make a trade that has value, like the report that has yes. been about the Pittsburgh one, that's something that has value. Open up cap space, and do you do with those picks to bring in players that extend that window to Five, for five years to nine to ten years and say, hey, now now we've got this runway here because we brought in 22, 23-year-old players and this is what it's going to look like for the post-Miller part of this team build. For sure. And now the thing about beyond this year and beyond, you have two more years of Demko after this. We talk about the Patterson thing and he's going to get a new contract as well here, right? So it's like, wh- what are you trying to do? What's your window and, and how are you trying to make it all work, and that's going to be an interesting part of the offseason. But like uh, Rob says, texting in, um, Rob and Victoria, where are you going to find an 80-point centerman for the next few years? I'd be shocked if the Canucks move him. That's Rob and Victoria. Uh, this one says, please, enough about JT, trade him. That's what one text message also says. So you're getting a bit of everything here when it comes to JT Miller. Uh, Alistair and Victoria, the team isn't winning a thing in the next four years. Anyways, moving that contract only makes sense for a contender, and we're at least five years away from being that. Moving Miller is addition by subtraction if you're clearing cap space and replacing him with younger players. And again, like if you're doing something like that, like your team build is taking a longer term approach. You just traded for Philip Peronic as well, who has two more years of control. And after that, he's a free agent or you're extending him to a big contract. So if you're looking at, at doing the longer term thing, then I don't know if you're doing the Philip Peronic thing. 
It's about now taking advantage of all these things. Because I don't know if you, like, I just don't know if you make the Peronic trade and make a longer-term bet here with JT. I just don't know how that all fits together. That would be my kind of guess here on all of it. You, you would have to flip those assets for something they feel like helps them pretty close to where they are right now. Look, they're, I, I, I totally get the text, and I appreciate what Alistair's in, in saying and what a lot of people say about what the competitive window is. It's valid. It's a valid concern. But they're very clearly in for a penny, in for a pound right now. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean they're going to trade that pick that they have or anything like that. But this is trying to maximize what competing means for this group. With Elias Pettersson, Queen Hughes, Thatcher Demko, and JT Miller. Yeah. That's what this is about. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. All right, we'll, we'll dig into that a bit more as the show goes on here. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber Text inbox, 650-650. What do you think JT Miller would sign for if he signs a contract? Uh, next, if he would have been a free agent, what would he get? Would it be same to what he got? Would it be higher? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Elias Pettersson's season, and we'll hear from Rick Tockett and a lot more as the Canucks Central Post Game Show rolls on. Canucks lose. Canucks win 3-2 over the Anaheim Ducks. We'll continue here on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Miller near boards. Slot. Right side, Pedersen back to Besser. He scores, and that's point number 100 for Elias Pedersen. Besser tucks it into the net, but then pulls the puck out himself and grabs it. Elias Pedersen has 100 points this season, and the Canucks lead 1 0. Elias Pedersen now up to 101 points on the season, two on the evening as the Canucks beat the Ducks 3 2. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. And as always, keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber Text inbox 650 650 as the Canucks are now one game away from completing their season. We are going to hear from head coach Rick Tockett as soon as that becomes available to us, and we'll continue with more post-game reaction from Canucks players as well uh, as the post-game show goes on here, Bick. Now, one of the things that happened tonight with this Canucks victory is that it moved uh, the Canucks up the standings a little bit. Now, we mentioned before this game... Do you want to get that... Con- into that conversation? I think so. We have to, you know, <laughs> hey, we have to mention everything that's going on. We haven't mentioned this yet. Yeah. And we're into the second segment of the show. And these games have implications. And as much as the Canucks are insured a shot at drafting Connor Bedard, they still are not sure where and how good a chance or how little a chance they will truly have to get Bedard. But with their win here tonight... The only team they can still catch is the St. Louis Blues, who sit there with the 11th worst record. The Canucks have now jumped over the Red Wings and the Washington Capitals, as expected in the standings. So, yeah. 3.5%. Yeah, 3.5% chance right now for the Canucks. So that one... uh... Stung. It was a 2.5% drop. Yeah, and especially with the Ducks, sorry, with the Capitals winning. Now, what that meant was, hey, if the Canucks still won the game, they would still have to lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they, even if they lost the game, they would still have to lose, maybe to ensure that they're there with the eighth worst record. So this doesn't mean anything necessarily yet, and, and we'll see ultimately what happens. But yeah, it's one of those things where if the Canucks win on Ari- against Arizona, then they're going to be most likely picking 10th or 11th unless they win the lottery. 
That's what it looks like right now. Um, and we'll see if the Red Wings can pick up a point in their final game of the season. The Caps have one more game to go, and so and the Blues have two games to go. Now, the Blues, this is where the lifeline may be a little bit. The Canucks can't catch the Blues if they get two more points. Mm-hmm. So if the Blues win one of the two games they have against the Dallas Stars, then the Canucks cannot finish 11th worst. But uh, that's kind of where they are in the standings. And at best, they can be 8th worst. At worst, they can be 11th worst. And as we pointed out, you just said the Stars' last two opponents for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, the R- Capitals will play New Jersey on Thursday, and Detroit will play at Tampa Bay on Thursday, with the Canucks obviously uh, finishing their season out on Thursday as well versus the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, uh, so that kind of also kind of tells you about uh, – one of the things to also keep in mind here is Dallas – can still catch the Colorado Avalanche for the best record in the Central Division. So it seems like those two games could still mean a lot to them because the Colorado Avalanche lost to the Edmonton Oilers tonight, 2-1. And that was a big win for the Edmonton Oilers. But what that means, what that does is means those games do have some semblance of meaning there for the Dallas Stars. So it may not be easy for the St. Louis Blues. So that's that. I mean, in terms of Mm -hmm. people wondering about the draft lottery odds and everything, uh, now you're up to date. Now you're up to date. This one says, boo, stupid Canucks winning <laughs> these late games. That was a Freudian slip sat. Canucks did lose by winning, going back to uh, what that means in the draft lottery odds. And, hey, at this stage, it kind of is what it is. We've kind of talked about this a lot, uh, about where the Canucks find themselves and what could have happened, what couldn't have happened. Now it just comes down to do you get luck or not. And with every win, your chances are less and less. But mm-hmm. again, at best, the Canucks were staring at a 6% chance. At worst, a 3% chance. So, Facts only. That's 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 what we're talking about here in terms of the odds. 27 days away till May 8th. That's it. So we only have 27 more days of lottery simulators. That's <laughs> it. All yeah. right. Uh, Brandon and Poco, the way this season has gone, Sat, it's okay to presume the Canucks would have lost tonight. Yeah. Or the other way around. Uh, yeah. Uh, keep the thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Now, we mentioned head coach Rick Tockett and uh, him meeting with the media post game. So the audio is ready. Let's get to that pretty quickly here. And, and we'll see what he has to say about the big decision he made before the game. And that was putting JT Miller on a line with Elias Patterson and Phil Giuseppe, trying to get Elias Patterson 100 points on the season. And here is the head coach talking about that call ahead of the game. Uh, well, I, I mean, it's, it's more of a, I just felt that uh, PD, I wanted to get PD some couple of, guys, you know, guy, four checking guys, and, and, you know, I thought PD had great energy tonight. Obviously, getting 100 points is great, but I think his overall game was really good tonight. You can see how happy his teammates were for him to get the milestone, too. Yeah, you know, when things, you know, when you don't make the playoffs, you, you look for little small victories, and have a guy that gets 100 points is nice. Uh, but now, you know, we, we want team goals, you know, the team stats and stuff like that. That's we obviously it's great. I love that PD got it, but you know, it's better if we start having more team goals than the individual stats for me. You know, it seems after every game we're talking something about Vikito Hirose. What did you think of the pass that he made? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, his deception. Um, I even like his defending. So. Um, uh, even Cole, like, uh, to be thrown in the fire like that, I've really, you know, to have those guys in the system, is, uh, I, I, the depth of the uh, defense uh, organization is big. So, yeah, he, uh, he like I said, he, you know, I've talked to you guys a million times about his hockey IQ. That's just, 
seeing that play happen um, and making that play. Hey, sorry, before we ask, can we just let the traders get through? Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Cameras are on. Time to Finally got camera time. 50 year old vet veteran. Good uh, <coughs> morning. Yeah. Delia, I guess, is going to go in yeah. Arizona. So this is it for Thatcher. What um, What did it show you, and how, how confident are you in your goal heading into next season based on what you've seen? <coughs> Yeah, you know, what I love about Dempsey is uh, didn't have a lot of work early, and then he just, you know, there's a couple of saves there. He was just, you know, to be focused and then have a barrage of shots and, be, you know, be there for us. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, as a coach, you're comfortable when you got a guy like that in your nets. You know, he just, uh, you know, a couple of post-to-post -post saves that he made were, were big tonight, and uh, especially early when lot, there wasn't much happening for him, and then all of a sudden there was a barrage. So I think the focus level with Denver is just incredible. All the things that you're going to worry about over the summer, goaltending won't be one of them? No, no, I don't think I'll be worried about Denver, no. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Okay, guys. Thank uh, that is the Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 3-2 win in Anaheim over the Ducks and says the decision to put JT Miller with Pedersen was more about getting four checkers and on the note of him getting his, his 100th point, said, hey, it's nice, but I'd like to see some more team success. So that kind of sums up how the coach feels about uh, these numbers and, and getting these accolades and and everything. And look, it's, it's what we talked about in the second intermission, right? You find things to motivate yes. players, whatever it is. And you mentioned, hey, Pedersen had a little bit more jump yeah. tonight. And the reason why you put PDG out there instead of Kuzmenko, you know, trying to get more four checkers, okay, I can buy that a little bit. I still wonder, and there's a lot of text coming in, is he going to give Kuzmenko a chance to hit 40 as well? Oh, you know what? And, and that's interesting, right? Um, a couple of questions here. Like this one from Vic. Talk at benching or demoting Kuzmenko in the next game and doesn't score his 40th would be equivalent to the Bret Hart screw job. That's Vic. <laughs> and, and others have texted in similar kind of sentiments here. So on that, Vic, um, I, I still don't expect him to get benched next season, you know, as long as he does the things he needs to do. But mm. before we even get to next season and on the notion of his 40th goal, if he's able to get to 40 goals, what kind of company does that put him into? Yeah, so I just tweeted this out uh, of players in their first year in the NHL. So not necessarily rookies. You don't need to be a rookie just because he doesn't qualify as a rookie. But first year in the NHL. Mm -hmm. Here's the list of players that have scored 40 in their first season. Now, Kuzmenko scored number 39 tonight. But this is the, the list in order of how many goals they scored. I, I won't say all the numbers, but Timu Solani, Mike Bossy. Ovechkin, Goretzky, Blair McDonald, Dale Howardchuk, Luke Robitaille, Rick Martin, Mike Rogers, Mario Lemieux, Raul Cloutier, Eric Lindros, Austin Matthews, Kent Nilsson, Sylvain Turgeon. That's it. He could be the 16th player in the modern NHL. So this is going back to 1966. Yeah, so to score like 40 in his, years almost. To score, 60, or to score 40 goals in their first year in the NHL. 16th player in NHL history to do so. That would be unreal. I mean... It, it just kind of tells you how how incredible his year has been. And there's a lot of question about, you know, how much, how can he repeat this? Like Brady from Surrey, do you think Kuzmenko can surpass the 40-goal mark next year or possibly even 50? And I totally understand the question. Now, if you're asking Dan Riccio, he'll say no. Because Dan's like, he's fading the shooting percentage. And, and Dan's point is well yeah. noted. I mean, what's his shooting percentage now? 27%? 28%? Uh, well, I'll have to check after. After tonight. But his, his shooting percentage is astronomically high. Coming in tonight, it was 27%. Yes. And he up wound up taking 
Uh, oh, did he only have only one shot on goal? So, yeah, there you go. He had one shot on goal. He'd be like 20, over 28%. Be 28% shooting percentage. That's likely not replicable. Like, he's not going to replicate yeah. his, his same shooting percentage. Now, he can still score a lot of goals with a lower percentage if he shoots more pucks. The That's, hope would be he has more minutes. Yes. Because this year he averaged 16 minutes. Does he average 18 next 18, year? 18. More consistent power play time. Does the overall shot volume go up for him? Because this year, yeah, he's taken so far this year uh, – 142 shots now. It's not a ton. Now, to his credit, he scored so much, doesn't he? Just shoot a lot. Maybe that's kind of the positive, right? But I think if he can up his volume to over 200 shots shots on goal, that then, yeah, that's how you offset the. Shooting I think he can do drop. that, but I don't know. I don't think he's going to score 50 next season. And I would bet against 40 next year as well, just because of how good this year is. And just look at the player. And that's not even a slight. It's more about like. He's been so good his rookie season, and oftentimes you see guys score a lot of goals in one year. It's hard to score as many next year, especially when you're talking about 40. But I, would, I wouldn't I would bet against him hitting 30 next year. That's kind of where I'm at with Kuzmenko's goal scoring for next season. But yeah, a very, very impressive year uh, for the Vancouver Canucks this year in terms of his goal scoring prowess. Uh, this question here. Hey guys, haven't been listening much lately, but what do we what do we think about Horvat's comments and apology? Now, we talked about that quite a bit already. We spoke about it last game, the game before that, even on the weekend when that happened, uh, before the game and fans were asking about it. There's been a lot of discussion on the airwaves, obviously. But coming up a bit later, we'll, we'll bring it back because Shane O'Brien was on Sportsnet Pacific during the intermission. The game was in Anaheim. He lives out there. And um, and apparently Eddie Lack uh, on Thursday. Yeah, in Arizona. He works out in Arizona. He's a realtor in Arizona, of course. And, and by the way, also on Thursday, story time with Cheech. Uh, they've bring oh, it back to the one. final game. We'll hear that for sure yeah. coming up on Thursday, Cheech's final game. There'll be 11 for Cheech coming up on Thursday as well. But so he was on the panel, and he had some thoughts about the Bull Horvath situation, some pretty uh, – Pretty interesting thoughts. So we'll play that back because I know people still have questions like that one. And we'll talk about that a bit later on. So stay tuned if you want to hear what Shane O'Brien had to say and, you know, where we're at with the whole Bull Horvat thing. And for all the talk and, and the dunking by Canucks fans yesterday because the New York Islanders lost against the Washington Capitals. They got a chance to clinch. Yeah. They, they, let's say that may have been premature because the, the New York Islanders all of a sudden after the Pittsburgh Penguins stubbed their toe tonight against Chicago Blackhawks lost 4-1 against the Blackhawks, the Penguins. All they needed to do was beat the Blackhawks and beat the Blue Jackets and they secure a playoff spot. Instead, no, it, was, it was more than 4-1, 5-2. 5-2 was it at yeah. the end? Okay, damn, 5-2. Even worse. So, I mean, 5-2 at the end. They lose that hockey game. And the other issue here, too, is the Florida Panthers clinched a playoff spot. So, there's a spot available. All the Islanders need to do is get a single point against the Montreal Canadiens, and they're in. So, we'll talk about Tie that. Tie and you're in. And we'll talk about the playoff picture, and we'll play Shane O'Brien's thoughts coming up a bit later on as well. Uh, this text here, and we were asked, we asked the question, if JT Miller hit free agency this upcoming offseason, and we'll set the table here real quick. The free agent class isn't very deep. We're talking... What, Sean, uh, Michael Bunting maybe being the best free agent forward? Max Domi being a top two centerman available in the free agent class? Like, that's what we're talking about here. The level of players available. And maybe even better. Maybe the back end, the defensive guys are better options. But even so, it's a very thin class. 
and the precedence. Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly will there be there. Yeah. RRR, but a bit older, Ryan O'Reilly, mm-hmm. uh, but still a very good player. Tarasenko is good, but also you know has had some issues. Sean Monahan might be the premier guy. Yeah, one of the and he had and a, a bit of a resurgence season. Yeah. yeah, a bit of a resurgence season. And if you look at the contracts that have been signed, Bo Horvat signed a eight-year deal worth sixty-eight million. Dylan Larkin signed a eight-year deal worth seventy million. And right now, Miller is outproducing uh, both those guys this season. Now he's older. But given that JT Miller signed a seven-year deal worth $56 million, $8 million per season, how much would he sign or could he be asking for and getting as a free agent in this year's class? And this question, this comment here says, unsigned, if JT was a free agent this summer, he would get something around the Goudreau-Huberdeau range, slightly less, 9 to $10.5 million over seven years. I don't know about that. That feels really rich to me. Yeah, that seems, that seems a bit too high, especially because I don't think he's viewed in the Huberdeau. Or at least as the same, like, Huberto had over 100 points, right? Plus, they're just younger, right? Yeah. Like you're getting more service. Years. Now, Huberto is a bit more comparable because his contract kicks in when he's 30 as well. Mm-hmm. Like him and JT are very similar. Yeah, that's true. Um, and JT, you can say can, still, play wing, yeah. can play center, but but the point being, I get the point. I don't know if he has that type of demand. I mean, I don't think he's going to get that, but I do think he could probably get an extra what 500k per season. I think it'd be somewhere in the range of 8.5 to 8.7. As a free agent? As a free seven agent. Years. Over seven years. So, you know, the big number would be, does he clip $60 million? 8.5 times 7 is just under. But, if again, is that you and I? We're all about total money? Yes. Does he start going for $60 Because you start curving that, uh, you know, you're in some pretty good company when you hit that $60 million mark. So... If he was a free agent, I would say 8.5 and up. That's probably the baseline. Yes. And it's, it's probably closer to 9, to be honest, because I know Frank has made this point with you guys a lot, Frank Cervelli. Essentially, it's a million dollars for every 10 points. Yeah. So, I mean, so if you put up 99 last year and you put up 80 this year, eight if, and you, a half. If, if you don't believe the 99. And you say, okay, eighty. Maybe he's kind of he's kind of confirmed he can do this. You go to the middle and say ninety, ninety, or eighty-five, which is eight point five. Yeah, that's kind of where it comes down. I, I think that that would be the number you're looking at for JT Miller uh, hit free agency. Is that does that mean it's a bargain for Vancouver? No, that's not the point I'm trying to make. But just saying, I think the season he's had, despite his bad play, the contract is probably still market value. It's not an overpay based on when they signed it. And also now when you look at it in, with market realities, it doesn't look to be an onerous contract when signed. How does it age? Obviously, we have seven years to find out because it doesn't kick in until next season. But it is very interesting to look at the market and see how it all kind of puts uh, comes in together here. Uh, and this question says, with the Canucks needing a thir- third-line center, who would be some options available to them? And would Monahan be a good option? Monahan probably costs too much. In theory, not a bad player. But I don't know if you want after the year he's had, he's getting, what, at least $4 million? Or he was asking for $4 million? I don't think you can get into the a bidding war for guys like that in free agency. No. So You know, especially for, for someone like Sean Monaghan, um, it's coming off a difficult injury year, and I just don't see a big payday for something like that. Yeah, I, that's kind of where I'm at as well. A, a lot of reaction on the text inbox. Huberdeau, Goudreau, and Miller were all drafted the same year. If Horvat got 8.5, he get at least uh, that coming off 
last season, probably $9 million last year. That's Josh and Mission uh, texting in. All right, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650, courtesy of Dunbar Lumber. Now, we started off the show talking a bit, a bit about Elias Pettersson and the season he's had, uh, but let's come back to that right now, too. I mean, up to 101 points on the season here, Vic. And when you look at what he's done and what he's capable of doing, what does this season confirm to us more than anything else for Elias Pettersson? That he can score at an elite level. That's the thing, too, right? It's always been the the conversation that, hey, if he gets a 75, Pedersen does all this work defensively that suddenly it makes up the value. Well, now you can talk about he scores 100. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very elite class when you are talking about 100 point getters. The fact that he's got that in him now, to me, that also states you're a guy who can take over a game. Not control it defensively. If you want to score points and you're a 100-point player, you're a threat all of the time, and teams have to be aware of you all of the time. It's difficult to get 100 points. It's not a lot of players to do it. I know right now there's a lot of players doing it, but historically, this is rarefied air, and I was showing you the list earlier. If, if Essentially, since the lockout, like to mid-2000s, if you get 100 points, at some point, you have gone to a Stanley Cup. Those players, A, garner a lot of respect, and those players draw a lot of attention. It's it's a spectacular season, and I still don't think we're at the peak of what we've seen for Elias Pettersson. No, I think there's more there. And it's not even so much about just the offensive game for him because, hey, maybe he doesn't even score 100 points again or doesn't get over 101 or whatever it is or doesn't eclipse Henrik Sedin's 112 points. And and I think if I'm still betting, I'm still betting on him, you know, breaking records and everything. But he can make more of an impact by being a stronger player, better in the face-off circle, making a big, bigger impact defensively than what he's done. Because I think now he's showing us what he can do offensively with his ceiling. Like, he's really showing, like, mm-hmm. a 100-point guy, like, incredible ceiling. Put it on tape that you can do this. Yeah, he hasn't, he, even though he has a potential on defense, which he hasn't actualized to the same degree he has with his offense. And if he does that, you're, we're, we're talking about, but, there's only a handful of players in league history that have done it at an elite level both ways, the way he's capable of doing, hasn't done yet, but is capable of doing. Well, what's funny about that set too is coming into this year, I hadn't really questioned the defensive side of the game for Elias Pettersson. Yeah, these last couple of months, you know, look, there, there's been some things I don't like, but because there's been a backlog of proof of concept to say, okay, he's played strong, elite defensively, I can ease up on the concerns about it. Because I do, I generally just think he's trying things on the outs right, right now, and so the fact that he's confirmed that he can do this offensively without really cheating, he's been high risk, mm-hmm. but he's not really cheating to get the offense. If he switches back on the defensive side, could be a marvelous player we're talking about here. Oh, and the thing really I like too unique. is really he's unique. still very, he's working very hard to get stronger. Yes. Yeah. Last season, he clearly put in work. Or last off season. So what does he do this off season? And again, the contact balance is a big thing that we were talking about in the second intermission. That's gonna be a big thing for me if he starts to improve on that and physically matures as he naturally will because he's getting into his mid twenties. Now we're talking about a really special player. Well, because he, 
because one of the things he hasn't, he's not able to do yet is force his way through the spots he wants to get to. Mm-hmm. Like he can finesse his way there. He'll battle for sure and everything. And he's not obviously strong enough. But work through contact in the middle of the ice because players always talk about like the toughest area and, and when players really start to make leaps is cutting to the middle of the ice. Yes. How do you, as you say, force your way there? I'm getting there no matter what you do. It's like a player in the post. I'm getting to the ru- to the rim. Well, and I don't think he's ever going to be Andre Kopitar because of the, you know how sure. wide he is. But that's what Kopitar does. It's not even just about the scoring. It's like he gets to the middle mm-hmm. when he wants, and that just puts so much pressure on the opposition as well. It makes it so much harder for them to defend. Guys you. have to collapse on you now. The flanks open up now. Kuzmenko can sneak in, and, and their entire goal. posture changes mm-hmm. because of how they have to play you because of what you're able to do and. That's another area that's going to open up to him if he's able to get you know a lot stronger physically, and that's what's exciting to me. And even if he doesn't score more, it impacts the game in bigger yeah. ways. Yeah. And look, I'm just going to read you a list of players here, and think of the I love different these ways. Lists, by the way, no, just like <laughs> no, no, I mean it in a positive way. I love these lists. A, think of do, do you notice these guys going to the middle of the ice? Yeah. And B, think of the different ways they get there. Right. So McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon, uh, Drysital, Crosby, Barkov, Point, Eichel. Bergeron, like they all find different ways to get to the middle of the ice. Bergeron, a bit more methodical. Someone like Jack Hughes, he just does it with speed, right? You don't, you don't always have to be the biggest guy, yeah. but he's got a trait of how he can get to the middle of the ice. Pedersen, not a burner, so he's got to find a different way. He's reasonably agile, but as we've mentioned, like working through contact can be a bit of a flaw for him. All the other guys can just do it with pure speed, pure power, and he's and Pedersen's not the most powerful guy. So he's just naturally going to have to rely on all three instincts to be able to get to the middle of the ice. He's he's naturally crafty. He's naturally sneaky. But he's going to have to do it with deception. Mm-hmm. But you're still going to have to work through contact at some point. So if you – his best trade is probably deception. All the other guys, yeah, McDavid's got high skill. McKinnon's got high skill. All these guys have high skill. But they do it with raw power. Pedersen's going to have to do it differently, and he's going to need some – contact balance to get to those areas of the ice and i do think it'll show up yeah i i actually agree with i do i do agree with that as well and it's his anticipation his vision his ability mm-hmm. to see the ice as well as he does and, and you're right you, he, he uses other people's momentum against him so well yes but there still seems some some, some trepidation on his part to work through contact well, and he's very aware of it himself because he's mm-hmm. talked about that too about having to improve that level and the other aspect is getting better in a face-off circle. Because if you're playing center and you're going to play in a lot of critical moments, you're going to need to be stronger. And I don't need him to be a 51% guy or 50% guy even, but can you get to 48 49%? Be close to 50%. And I think that's another step he has to take. And if he does, I mean, it's just so incredible what he could be capable of doing. And, and that's what makes it so exciting. A lot of reaction on the text inbox is always... Um, Kristen Duncan, it's it's contract year for EP40 as it was for both Bo and JT. Players always step up for the cash. Technically, it wasn't a contract year for JT. No, no, for for Petey. And I, I guess JT technically either. Not neither JT, guy. Yeah. Neither guy was in a contract. Year. It's it's when it expires. But they they yeah. What they did was set themselves up mm-hmm. to sign a contract as soon as they were eligible to. Which sure you know, the penultimate contract year do we call it that i know dan was calling everything penultimate so i'm like can we say well, the penultimate contract here suppose we can steal it <laughs> we'll steal it for the moment uh um okay this one josh mission this confirms Pedersen is legitimately a franchise player worth building around the level of player teams tank to have a shot at drafting and Hughes is in that group too yeah i mean i don't disagree with that at all and that's why if you have a couple of those guys you usually try to build around them so i understand that the question is how close are you what type of moves should you be making but 
I think it shows absolutely both. I mean, Quinn Hughes is going to finish second in the league scoring this year for defensemen, maybe. He's like top three scorer, NHL defenseman. He's he's doing it consistently now, year in and year out, in terms of putting up big production. Every year, he's amongst the leading scorers in the National Hockey League for D-men. This is stuff that's not very easy to pull off, and these guys are doing it at a high level. Uh, all right, uh, we mentioned a lot of reaction on text inbox, 650-650. Uh, we'll get back to that coming up uh, in a couple of moments as well. And on the other side, we are going to hear more from Canucks players. We mentioned what Shane O'Brien had to say as well uh, about Bo Horvat, so we'll play that. I know people have some questions about that, so we'll play that coming up next as well. And we'll get to Ian McIntyre during our final segment of the postgame show. It's sat and it's big. Canucks win 3-2 over the Anaheim Ducks. More coming up next on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central postgame show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Giuseppe with a shot, rebound, they score. JT Miller at the top of the crease, jams it home. So that should be Pedersen's 101st point of the season, and the Canucks have the lead back. It's 3-2. Canucks win 3-2 over the Ducks in Anaheim, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming into a Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And, you know, um, we have a lot of reaction on text inbox. We'll get to that coming up in a second, 650-650. And if you want to grab a phone line, you can do so as well, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And when we look at the Canucks season this year, I know there isn't a ton to be hopeful for uh, because, hey, they're sitting here now with 81 points in 81 games, 500 on the dot for the season. Essentially a mushy middle team, except they do have a chance to land Connor Bedard because they're not going to finish worse than 11th worst, which means they still have a chance at getting there. But there is some talk about, hey, is this good enough? Should the Canucks have a better shot? What could the Canucks have done to have a better shot at getting Connor Bedard? I think we all agree that, hey, did you have to make a coaching change when you did? Could you have waited a bit longer? But realistically speaking, especially with the way Demko played when he came back, if you reduce Demko's starts, what are we looking at here for the way they finished the season? Like, How many jump places have they jumped? Would they probably have gotten fifth worst? Because I, I thought there was a chance they could, they could get sub-70 points. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, unless you like, – I don't know if that was really in the cards. Again, I, I was saying last night, Colin Delia, since Rick Tockett has taken over, uh, he's 5-3-2. and two. Yeah. So, so it's not as if – look, the save percentage is uh, sitting at 871, uh, whereas right before uh, Tockett took over, it was starting to really slip. But honestly, I, I'd probably look at it and say he probably has two less wins. I think so. So one of the things that we talked about was 
I remember you asking the question. And this is when, when things were going really bad for the Canucks. And I was like, hey, if I put the over-under at 72 points, do you take the over or the under? And the way things are going, I'm like, I take the under because mm-hmm. I don't bet on this team being over. But the the question always was, are they really going to be a sub-70-point team? Sure, a sub-80-point team they can be, but can they really be a sub-70-point team? And to be a sub-70-point team, we talked about it's like, okay, well, Demko's going to have to be out for the rest of the season pretty much. Or if he comes back, he has to really be bad. At, at that stage, we were talking about Thatcher Demko getting... 12 starts something like that maybe right and it was like hey if all things if they keep the coach and Demko comes back late if all those things happen maybe just maybe they can be under 70 points but probably the line is somewhere where Bick put it 72 74 points well right now the team with the sixth worst with sixth best lottery odds so sixth worst record is the Arizona Coyotes at 70 at 69 points realistically where the Canucks going to get less than 72 points 74 points so, I mean, we're talking about they've maybe, at worst, they probably would have been 7th, and they're maybe jumping to 11th. So, it's it's a it's it's a drop of four spots. As far as the lottery odds for that, it's only a difference of 4.5, 3.5%. So, lottery odds-wise, it's not a big difference at all. It's still double what you would have had, but it's still under, it's like 6.5% of mm-hmm. that. That's what we're talking about. The biggest issue is dropping the spots with the actual pick potentially. Sure. But that's what we're talking about here. So I, I don't want to hear the Canucks could have had a bottom five record. They screwed that up. That was always going to be unlikely. Again, look at the Arizona Coyotes has 69 points. Even if they had 72, they wouldn't catch Arizona. There's, there's six wins between Arizona and Vancouver right yeah. now. Even so if it's, it's, even it's, it took five away, they still wouldn't have caught them. Colin to Thatcher Demko, a, a switch of five Even if he wins. is. And I think five would be the high end of it, right? Even if it is five wins, you still don't catch Arizona. But maybe you could have caught, maybe you you know you don't finish above Washington, you don't finish above Detroit in this, and we'll see if they do ultimately. And that's that's realistically what we're talking about here. I don't think it would have been realistic to be below seventh when we really look at how the season's unfolded to this point. I mean, we can do the exercise. So Thatcher Demko, since returning, has played uh, 17 games. 17. Tonight being number seventeen, yeah. The Dallas game, he was fantastic in his return, yeah. But he gave up four goals in that game, yeah. Is that one that, like, they they win the game, but he still, still gave up four? Is, yeah. is that one we look at where he stole it? You can say that. You can say yeah, you say you say he stole that one. Sure, that's one. Okay. Uh, Toronto, he yeah. probably yeah, he got something out of that one. Yeah, that's he was two. he was thirty six to thirty seven. Uh, you know, it was twenty saves against Anaheim, eighteen saves against Ottawa. Uh, how much is he impacting that one? Uh, they beat Dallas. Uh, when Dallas came, he played to really well against that in Vancouver. That game. So that's three games. Uh, the Dallas game, right? But they won five two. Yeah, I know. But he played really well that game. But they had a two nothing lead they six did. minutes into the no, game. True, true. Yeah, they did. Right. Yeah. So that one, like, kind of sure shrug yeah. aside. The LA Kings game where they won three two uh, in a shootout. Uh, he made thirty eight saves in that one. Okay, so, so we can chalk that one up. So that's three. Um, are you thinking? Uh, you might be thinking about the Dallas. No, actually, no. They they uh, one two. So maybe yeah. I'm thinking of just the first one. Yeah, so it's it's probably three wins. Look, he he had a shot to go in Chicago, but to me, that's not about Demko being fantastic in Chicago. That's just about Chicago being Chicago. Yeah. And then, how do you want to flip the Calgary game on the weekend? I'll give that one to him too. So four. I mean, four five again five. Even if it's five, right? Like, and we're tr- and if I'm being really generous and saying five, I think we're being generous about the Calgary one. Yeah. Because Calgary was pretty bad in that game. But the point was, are they six? Mm-hmm. At best, it's five if you're being super generous. So you're probably not catching Arizona. But And by the way, that's assuming Colin Delia loses all those games. Yes. 
assuming all that happens, right? Again, bigger picture stuff in terms of earlier this season, everything I understand, but that's something to keep an eye on. Sure, but is it better to get number six or seven or number 11? No, sure, it's better to get six or get, well, you're not getting six. It was better to get seven than 11, but we'll see where they end up still. You know, that's one of the things you have to keep in mind too. We'll see ultimately where they end up uh, before the season is all said and done. There's still one game to go uh, on both sides uh, for pretty much all these teams, except for the Blues who have two games remaining, two against the Dallas Stars coming up. And they have one point. And no, they're tied with Vancouver in points, but they have a chance to uh, get above 83 points and being above Vancouver. All right. Uh, we'll get to more of your reaction on the text inbox. So let's go to the phone board, 604-280-0650. And let's go to Sunshine Coast where Paul is on the line. Paul, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, guys. Yeah, I was just uh, thinking. Um, I'm still surprised that uh, that Benning uh, ran out of time to sign Tyler Toffoli. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways... Here's a thought. I mean, he's a big winger, uh, 35 goals this year. I think, I think he's only got a 4.25 cap hit, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he would be a hell of a, <clears throat> hell of a line mate for JT. I'll hang up and see what you have to say. Thanks. Thanks for the phone call. I don't disagree because we saw Toffoli here be a good fit with Pedersen and even JT. I just don't see it being in the cards because I just I just don't know if that's a deal. Number one, to acquire a player who has one year left on his contract, who's their leading scorer, is a rental deal, and they're not trading him unless they get a first-round pick, which they shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about... So the value of getting him as a first-round pick or a, really, or a good prospect, if in terms of a hockey deal, do you see one? Besser for Toffoli? I don't think so. No, they're not doing that. They're not doing that. And then the other nice thing about Toffoli's contract is it's uh, cap over cash next year as yes. well. So it's $3.5 million of actual salary, but a 4.25 uh, cap hit. Honestly, I, I don't really see the... It's a rental too. I mean, I, I don't see... It's a winger. Vancouver would have to give up an asset to acquire another winger and then pay the winger to keep him. It just It's not going to be in the cards unless you're making a hockey deal. And unfortunately, as much as I like Toffoli, I just don't see a hockey deal possible between these two. Because here's the thing. What is it that Calgary needs? If they're if they're sitting in their office right now and they're thinking, well, we're not going to the playoffs, okay, what do we need? It's probably still looking long-term center. Do, do the Canucks have that to give up? Nope. Okay. Aturatu's not – I mean, again, are you trading – again, probably like, not trading a prospect. But, again, it's also a guy in a one-year deal who's a winger. Yeah. It's not a priority for this team to be trading assets. I like the player. The, the time to keep him and get him would have been when they had a chance to sign him and, and it didn't happen. They ran out of time. They ran out of time. To Paul's point. Yes, to Paul's point. And uh, that's the reality of where they find themselves there with Tyler Toffoli. Now, we were we were mentioning uh, Thatcher Demko. Fi- final game of the season for him here tonight, Vic. And I think we can all agree that since returning to the lineup, he has shown that he is very much still capable of being the number one goalie. And despite the fact that his save percentage is was under 80 for a while... He got it up to over 900 now that a season is done for him. 901. Still a high goals against average, 3.16. The numbers aren't exactly great, but the way he played when returning from injury was at the same level of the top goalies in the NHL. What do we come away thinking here with him? Yeah, so I'm... I know this is being selective, but I'm kind of removing the first part of the season. 
the first for 15 him. the first 15 starts it didn't look like that or Demko I don't even know if we, if we say like this is the version he always is right now but this looks far truer to form than what we saw in the first 15 games of the season like the minute he came back it looked obvious that like this is the version of Thatcher Demko. He he just looked more confident in his own body, and that's continued to grow. Like he, coming into tonight, he had a nine sixteen save percentage. Nine sixteen. Forget nine oh one. Yeah. Nine sixteen. Coming into tonight, I'd have to do the math on uh, what it looks like after tonight. Uh, but that to me is far closer to what Thatcher Demko traditionally is. Yeah. And so it's being selective. I understand I'm, I'm removing 15 games from my own process here. But if this is the version you get of Thatcher Demko moving forward, health is the only question I have. That's it. Yeah, that is the only question. And he has shown that he does pick up some injuries as the years have gone by. And it poses some questions about next season. How do you want to utilize him? What type of backup do you need? Do you feel like you have Martin maybe bring mm-hmm. Gilead back with Seelovs and you piece it together that way? But is it fair to say that he's picked up some injuries along the way? I think it is. But but last okay was was this year's injury a cause from last year's injury? Like is that one period? Yeah, I don't know if they they're all related necessarily. Potentially could be, but I think it does fit in a little bit to it. Um, he did pick up an injury, a small injury, the year prior as well. It wasn't a big thing or anything like that. But I do wonder about that, too, because if he played through an injury at the end of last season, then you know, try to recover mm-hmm. and get back this year. Is he going to be healthy next season? He still needs to but, complete a full year getting through it healthy. So if he played through something last year, which I think we could all bit. say that he kind of yeah. did, how did that materialize and, and why was it pushed, right? If you have a better season and you don't need to put Thatcher Demko under such strain all the time and you can – spread out 64 starts. Not that I even want to see him start 64 games, 55, 57, somewhere in that range. Does suddenly it crop up, right? Is it a Thatcher Demko issue or is it a Canucks usage issue? So are you saying that getting off to bad starts hurt your team? (laughs) I'm telling you, man, next October, everyone should be fired up with fire and brimstone that they got to win game one. They got to be above 500 by game six. That's so important. I mean, we cannot go through another season. You can't be sitting there going, well, if they're 500 by game 20, if, if, you, you if you're trying to be 500 by game 20, it's too late. It's been proven. Like, how many more years do you need that to be proven to you? That urgency has to be there minute one. And I don't want to hear the stuff about, like, uh, again, last year we were getting called out for being like, you know, what are you guys talking about urgency in the play- preseason? Why are you guys talking about early in the season? You guys mm-hmm. are making something out of nothing. And, you know, negative media, classic, classic early in the season. It's like, well, have you learned your lessons now? I don't want to hear any of that next year. Like, if you say any of that, you get cut off. You call in next year and say it's early in the season, you get cut off if you call in and we'll, say that. We'll, in we'll play this on the other side um, later on. But I was talking to Yannick Hansen today, as we do every Tuesday on the People Show, and started talking about training camp and feeling that urgency. And Yannick was going into great detail of when the intensity of practices started to pick mm-hmm. up, how they could just feel not necessarily player growth that themselves were getting better, but how the game suddenly got a lot easier for them. And obviously winning helps and the vibes are always good, but the practices were so intense that it made the games easy for them. So those training camp habits you're talking about there, Stat, that's going to be the thing to look out for. As much as you can be all excited for the start of the season, game one, all that, this this franchise, to earn the trust back of the fans, of what they're seeing right now, it's going to start on do the practices look intense. You you practice like you play, then people will start saying, okay, this can this can change. This can turn. And that's the thing Rick Tocchi keeps harping about. 
all these bad habits that started to slide back in. He's not going to allow it. He's putting it on himself, and let's judge it upon. Let's judge him upon it come September. Yes. But Rick Tockett's taking ownership of the fact that these habits that have been there, they're not going to happen on his watch. They so, shouldn't happen on his so watch. So it's on Rick Tockett. It is on him. It's on him and also on management to see to yep. identify the players who you know aren't going to be on that page. They can't be here next year. You can't be here. If you can't win with them, you can't have them. Whatever you got to do to get them off the books, you got to do. You know, if you got to take a loss on some guys, like you can't have. If, if you think there are certain guys here you can't win with, get them out. I don't care if it's a buyout. I don't care if you're attaching an asset next to a guy as well. Like, if you're trying to win, you can't have that. You can't have guys around that are going to prevent you from winning hockey games. If this is the tack you're taking, if this is the road you're taking in terms of trying to win, then you have to be you have to be aggressive in that aspect of things. Um, a lot of text and a lot of reaction. Brandon and Poco. The Canucks' new slogan uh, says, "Next season starts now." I sure hope it does, considering how this season <laughs> went. Yeah, it all comes down to the start of the season. Now, I will say, I mean, the one player who's been locked in since day one has been Elias Pettersson. And if we're talking about new leadership group, well, the guys who had it on was a guy by the name of number 40, number 43 as well. They're here long-term, and Elias Pettersson now gets to 101 points on the season, two on the evening. And uh, here is Elias Pettersson postgame meeting with the media, uh, being asked about his historic night getting 100 points on the season for the first time at the age of 24. It means I can breathe out again. Um <laughs> No, but I'm very happy with it. Uh, something I didn't think about before the season. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm very happy with it. But can't have done it without the guys. So how much of it is due to the help you're getting from your other teammates? Yeah, it means a lot. I mean, uh, I'm, not, I'm not playing by myself out there. Uh, uh, so um, it's a team game, and uh, it's, um, it's been some tough times this, this season. But we will battle all year, so... Um, yeah. Your play has helped lift the team up. With recent plays, been pretty good. Um, I mean, not enough, I guess. Otherwise, we would be in the playoffs. Uh, so, um, but uh, yeah. You know that your teammates uh, are close to you. But what is it? What's it like when you have a moment like that? And you see how happy everybody is for you. On the no, it, uh, it means a lot. Just uh, seeing everybody congratulating you and uh, just being happy for you it uh, means means a lot to me did JT say anything for you before the game when you found out you guys were playing together uh, he said let's uh, let's just get uh, let's at least get uh, one one point a day and make sure you get the 100 so uh, we started off hot we could have scored first shift and second or third shift but uh, yeah we got eventually on the power play he said, how come you didn't play with him last year when he was trying to get 100? I mean, I wasn't the coach, so <laughs> I would love to help him then. Uh, so, but, yeah. Do you think you're just kind of scratching the surface? Do you think you have a higher ceiling yet in this league? Yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, I was um, striving to get better um, and evolving every day and um, every season. So, uh, very happy with what I've accomplished so far this year, but um, I always like to think I got another gear in me. 
Uh, that is Elias Pettersson after his two-point performance. Thinks he has another gear in him as well, and that's the exciting part, especially as this team is nowhere near hitting its peak. And does Pettersson have another peak or two when this team hopefully is ready to take that step and be a true contender? And that's truly what you're looking for uh, as time goes on here. Uh, we have a lot of reaction on the text inbox, as always, 650-650. Uh, this one says it's too early to give drastic consequences for next season. No one gave drastic consequences, but we've seen three years in a row now this team get off to bad starts. In two of those years, they ended up firing the head coach back to back years. And all three years, it prevented them, despite having sights of being a playoff team, from getting even close to being a playoff spot outside of last year. And even last year, despite making that big run towards the end with Bruce Boudreau, they missed the playoffs by six points. Six points. They had 91 points last year. Missed the playoffs by six points. So it's not about drastic consequences, but the lesson everyone should learn is bad starts are very hard to overcome. More often than not, you do not overcome your bad starts. Proof has been here. And somebody texted in, you guys now talking about uh, results over process. It's all tied in together. Please, please try to have a mind that allows you to think about things in conjunction together. It's about results and process together. You need to play a good style of hockey with proper structure that allows you to be able to win. And that should yield results. Now, is there a chance that Canucks play the first 10 games of the season and play great hockey and are, and let's say, uh, are snake-bitten, the puck isn't going in, and they end up being 4-6 and six in those games? Well, I'm sure we'll watch those games and say, hey, guess what, guys? Mm-hmm. They're playing really well. That's hockey. Like, I have no worries. All those things can be true, and they all kind of come together again. You need a team to play well and to have results. If they don't get results to begin next season, the first 10, 20 games of the year, it's going to be hard to overcome it. But it all comes back in together. Should I break up the phrase again? Yes. Hockey's the game. Business is winning. Their job is to win hockey games. It's not just about, hey, throw process to the side. Their job is to win hockey games. That's it. That's what they got to do. Uh, and I was talking about um, Hanson that we talked to him earlier, or I talked to him earlier on the People Show. We got a couple of minutes here. Uh, I want to play this back from Yannick Hanson about practice habits and when they started to, to torque it up. Uh, no, it we, we, it it was right off, but it, but it wasn't like it was consistent throughout the season. It was when we knew it was time to do it. Then you'd you'd ramp up that intensity. Um, if it needed be, we weren't playing as well. We were getting lucky. We were winning the game. We wouldn't. Um, then leadership group knew that okay, now now is the time to dial it up a little bit. And then the fun and games went away. The 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 joking on the ice went away, and still it was head down. And and you could feel it almost showing up sometimes in practice that okay, today is we're not here for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, guys were were finishing their checks a little bit harder. You were getting cross checked in front of the net. Um, you weren't uh, dipsy doodling trying to tiptoe around a demon. No, you were you're skating hard down the wing and you're bearing a puck or passing it across hard. Um, these things. So it was more so policing the the, the team, the dressing room, um, and then again, then you could ramp up when need be. Um, but but for sure, the the early camps that, that we did before uh, it got toned down a lot. I mean, we started with rookie camp for five or six days uh, into prospect camp for four or five days before main camp even started and those um, rookie camp and prospect camps were like like that was war um, guys were fighting each other and hitting like it was uh, playoffs because it was how you made it 
to the next step. So by the time main camp rolled around and those exhibition games, like you'd been playing like it was, it was, it was April and May for, for 10, 12 days. Um, but just trying to fight your way through uh, those 50, 60, 70 players that showed up through those two camps in, in order to just make it through main camp or to main camp. Because we've been talking so much about you know changing the mentality of this culture of this of this team and getting ready for next season, obviously. And the point I've been making is it starts within, not just oh hey, where I'm going to be more competitive this year. It starts collectively as a group in environments that you can control, like a practice. If you start seeing more of that, will it translate to the ice? Is that fair? You hope so, because you use the old mantra that uh, practice like you play. Um, and it is very hard unless you have that switch uh, as a team that can just turn it on. Um, and it's, it's not a lot of team have it, uh, obviously. Um, so unless you can do that, then you can allow yourself to be a little bit more loose. Otherwise, it has to be... Uh, it has to be business day in, day out uh, uh, until you get to a point where your skill, your systems, your um, superiority uh, shines through and you can win games on 85%, if you will. Otherwise, you have to be 100%. And in order to be 100%, well, you have to be like that uh, the entire time. And I say this as well, that that is impossible to do as well. So you have to be able to find a way where you can win these games where you're not going... Uh, Metal to the pedal, pedal to metal, pedal to the metal, if you will, because um, you can't do that for 82 games. Um, but again, it's got to start somewhere. When those practices, you know, mid to early in your career, started ramping up, could you feel the growth? Or, or reflecting back now, do you say, man, like when that started to pick up, is when I really started to grow as a player? Well, it just it tra- it made the games easier. Right. We, we like when we practiced, and again, it wasn't like I said, it wasn't every single practice, but like when it was just it just carried over. So exactly how we 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 went about practices, that was how we played our games, and then this grind that the season is, it just kind of turned into a little more uh, relaxing environment because our grind was norm all of a sudden. So the way we practiced, the harder we practiced, well, the games became that much more easier to play and we were winning games easy and you're just kind of breezing through and we put together these four, five, six uh, win streaks, then you lose a cut, one or two and then you're right back doing it again. Um, so you don't get that mental fatigue of, oh, we got to win this game tomorrow because these guys are right behind us or we need to move up here. Um, it just became the norm as to how we, we practiced and it carried over and, and it made the season's a little bit easier, if you will. Obviously, we were in a different scenario, too, with a little bit of an easier division, especially for some years. Um, but, but again, you, you can't stress that enough that, that you practice like you play, um, and it's very hard to turn that switch on. That if, is if Yannick Hansen, and we'll be back here with more coming up next on Sportsnet 650. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Most Canucks coverage in BC, only on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Nikito Hirose has it behind his own net. Hirose with a stretch pass, here's a breakaway, Kuzmenko in alone, he scores! Andre Kuzmenko has his 39th goal of the season, and the Canucks go to 2-for-2 two two on the power play in the first period. They lead and 2 to nothing. Canucks go on to win 3-2 over the Anaheim Ducks, and this is the Canucks Central postgame show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. 
And uh, we are going to hear from Ian McIntyre coming up in a few minutes' time and uh, more of your reaction as well. Uh, Justin the Coots just texted us in. That Hirose pass was special. I didn't see the game. Did he take another step forward? How was his night overall? And he made a, a nice pass to Andre Kuzmenko to set him up for his 39th goal of the season. It was on the power play. Great stretch pass to spring Kuzmenko. I can't believe I'm doing this. Oh, brother. And I'm not, listen, I, 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 we've been sitting here like hyping Hirose. Like I'm, I'm as big of a Hirose fan in this market as you're going to find in the media, and we've been talking him up a lot. Great pass. I've started calling him Hirosat. <laughs> like, hey, what's up, Hirosat? He's that big of a fan. Yeah, I, I really like his game a lot. You My know, phone like, autocorrects to <laughs> Hirose to, to Hirosat. Sat. Capital S-A-T <laughs> as well. Uh, so, I mean, I, I really like – I really do like him, Hirose. Like, I, I really think the Canucks found something in But you can't believe you're going to say? This pass wasn't that special. <laughs> it wasn't. And and not because not because, not because he didn't make a nice pass. He sure. did. But if you watch the replay, it's a wide open lane to him. I mean, the Anaheim Ducks part like the Red Sea, not a single stick in the passing lane up the middle. And yeah, he 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 fires it. He skates up ice. It's a great pass. It really is. But the the degree of difficulty wasn't super high on it. Like they essentially gave him that pass, and he's like, "Sure, I'll take it." Again, that's why I'm saying it. that. That's why I, the only thing I disagree with it wasn't a special pass. It was a nice pass. I don't think it was special. So I don't want to hype the pass. Like, oh my god, the next Quinn Hughes type of deal. Like, there was nobody. Like, he should be making that pass. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad he's able to and, make that and, pass. And he's got free release, basically moving up. The There's ice. no pressure There's on him. There's no nobody pressure near him. Nobody in near front him. of him. Um, two sticks are in the wrong lane. Uh, I want to say. Hang on, let me bring up who was on the ice there uh, against. Uh, Kuzmenko was Zegras out there? Uh, I, I believe it was Shattenkirk. <laughs> no, because it was the it was a PK. It was a penalty kill. I think it was Shattenkirk, and I think the other D man uh, or the other guy back on the line uh, was Cam Fowler. And both of their sticks are opposing each other. Yes, and so to the outside, not the inside. yeah to the outside. Yeah, and so Kuzmenko just slides in between, and away he goes. So it's. Again, it, it's from distance. It's from the top of the circles all the way to the blue line, but all the sticks are in the wrong lane. And it's not as if even, I, I guess the the D man just switches off. Uh, yeah, it's Fowler and Chattenkirk. Yeah, Fowler, I think, kind of assumes Kuzmenko is to his left rather than skating towards his right. I think Kuzmenko does a good job, like he always does, to find space and sneak in. Basically, like Cam Fowler that. forgot that hockey happens behind him. Too. <laughs> That's what happened. Yes. That's a great way of putting it. Great way of putting it. But again, it's a nice pass. But I just stopped short of hyping it like, oh my gosh, this incredible pass because he didn't thread uh, he didn't thread the needle on it. He just made a really good pass, a really good play. But when it first happened, my reaction was that Quinn. That was my reaction. And it just because like, I can't confirm. It. It was, it was, I'm like, was that Quinn? Was, oh, it was Hirose. Because like he skated up ice really quick and just feathered the pass so fast that it was really nice. But, you know. A bit of a game breakdown here for People you. People are texting in, boo. <laughs> I know, I hate it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean it as a it negative. Was, it was good. It was a good pass. That's all. It was not yes. special. That's it. And I like Justin the Coots, too. Good listener, always texting in <laughs> good thoughts. But again, that's, that's we were talking about his night. I thought his night was because he didn't watch the game. I thought he played well tonight. Had a couple high-sticking yeah. penalties. But he battled hard. Um, you know, Picked up another point tonight. I thought he played well. Uh, this one says, agreed, OEL makes that play, but often without the fanfare. And I think it's true. Like, if OEL has time, he'll make that pass, too. Man, that's a that's a comparable. Well, I, w- I would hope so. 
But look, it's it's right that if 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 OEL made that pass, it would just be like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Well, whatever. He's supposed to do that. He gets paid seven point two six. And we're like we're falling off, you know, falling off our chairs. Like, oh my god, you know, Hirose. But I mean, a guy making seven hundred k making that yes, pass is a lot yes. different than a guy making seven point two million. Yeah. You know, so you know that is the point. That is the point. Okay. It was strong. Good for him. Good for him. Great. Third assist. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I like this text. Keep building up. Sounding like Sat Singletary. Can't play with him. <laughs> can't win with him. Can't happen. Can't do it. It's good. <laughs> Strong one. It. Strong one. All right. Fantastic stuff. All right. You know what? Well, let's squeeze, in, squeeze another phone call in. Uh, let's get to our friend Reynolds who's on the phone lines. And Reynolds, we have one more game to go on the season. What are your thoughts on this one before we get to the end of the season? Reynolds. Reynolds, we got you there. All right, uh, Reynolds not ready, unfortunately, so we, we can't get him on. And radio down in the background next time, buddy. We'll, we'll, we'll try to make it happen. Reynolds, it's game 81, man. It's not training camp. <laughs> got to be ready. Listen through your phone. <laughs> Listen through your phone. Uh, yeah, no, fantastic. All right, all right uh, we'll get to more of your text messages and some of your reaction. Ian McIntyre is going to join us in, in a little bit, but we mentioned we were gonna, also going to get to what Shane O'Brien had to say. People are asking about, hey, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on the Bull Horvat thing? We've given our thoughts on the Bull Horvat thing quite a bit on his comments and, and all that, uh, but some people also wondered, hey, did Shane O'Brien say something? He was on mm-hmm. intermission in Anaheim with... Dan Murphy, and he was asked about Bo Horvat's comments and Bo Horvat's apology, and here is what Shane O'Brien had to say. Yeah, and, and you know, Murph, I don't know Bo personally, and, and I have a lot of pride of being an ex-Vancouver Canuck, and uh, if he was saying stuff to management, then so be it, nothing I know about, but to me as an ex-player, he kind of took a shot at the city and the fans, and unfortunately for Bo, he's not going to get the opportunity to, to play in the playoffs and see what Vancouver's all about. It's some of the best fans in the league, passionate, uh, fun. I love having them, and when they're not winning, hey, listen, sometimes they throw jerseys on the ice. That's what they're going to do, but I love the city of Vancouver. I love the fans, and uh, I didn't appreciate what Bo had to say. Uh, that's Shane O'Brien. Didn't appreciate it, you know. Shane O'Brien, Canuck, through and through, despite not being drafted by a team and mm-hmm. not finishing his career here, but obviously always liked Vancouver. So that's how he feels. And I know Yannick had something similar to say mm-hmm. when he was on with you two on um, the People Show. And we played Yannick's clips a bit earlier, and he was talking about process, which we'll get to in a second because I thought it was a really interesting thought he had about practice habits and everything. But some of the former players, two former Canucks now, Kind of have a similar sentiment on that whole situation. And, you know, by and large, and I think people would understand, like, we all, look, you're frustrated by it, you're hurt by it, hold a grudge. Everyone understands, like, mm-hmm. you can, for, for Horvat, like, he can feel that way. Wanted to be a Canuck, didn't materialize, annoyed, for sure. But I think the sentiment is, like, you have to internalize that. There's, there's no upside to you, even if you want to be petty about it, and criticize the management and ownership. Well, that's like like Yannick said. He's like, hey, you know, you have that. Yes, yeah, say it in private. That's what he Yannick said. Again, this is not. Hey, this is me. This is a former players, yeah. Canuck guys saying this. Do you need to do it in front of however many people were in the stands yeah. last night? I can bring up the exact number. And and look, the idea of like, oh, thought it was only going to be broadcasted in house. Okay, but people have phones, right? There's yeah. you're you're going into an arena. You're talking into a microphone. There's 16,000 people there. You got to know, and actually at that game, it was 17,255. There's 17,255 phones there. Yeah. Someone's going to video it. It's going to go out. You, you got to know that's going to happen. So it, it, feel how you feel, but also be aware that it's going to get 
presented to the people you're critiquing. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And if when that happens, and now it's public, and that's the thing, more than anything, right? And hey, we neither of us took offense to it because you know it is what it, it is. It's not a big deal to me, but I understand why fans are annoyed by it. Again, when Vancouver gets invoked the name and the fans are brought in you know fans can feel the way they want to feel and uh, that's what we kind of saw this past week about this this all so all right we'll move off that there we go so that's shane o'brien's thoughts on it uh (laughs) if you missed it yeah uh 650 650 dunbar lumber text inbox uh this one here says man you guys are so harsh that's greg in vancouver uh about the uh thing again like it, it pained me to do it it pained me to do it. Harosh? No, I'm not going to try that. No. It pained me to and, and I'm not even <laughs> downplaying it. It's a nice pass, but just, again, context is all. I mean, we're breaking the play down. Yeah. And I wa- trust me, if I could sit here and say that's a 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 degree of difficulty pass, I would. I'd love to sit here and say it. But a good pass. Good play. Good play. Good play for Man, we're harsh. Man, we're harsh for wanting high standards. Right? I mean, that's what Yannick was talking about yeah. when he mentioned, you know, when, when this team took the step and he goes back to 2011, 2010, 2011, the easy game, the games were easy compared to how hard practice yeah. was. And he started talking about, like, to, to, to get to the stage where you're winning amongst the best in the league. Yeah. You're in that group. You're not going to play 100% of the time. And mm-hmm. it's a great point by him that you need to get to the stage where you are playing 85%. And you're able to get through it. And what have we talked about? Game management. How many times have teams come to Vancouver, played 20 solid minutes, and gotten out? They're not going 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. But they get results, and they find themselves into the playoffs, and they find themselves in the best seeds in their respective conferences. That's what Vancouver's got to try to achieve. As it stands right now, these past two seasons, last season especially in that 57-game run under Bruce, said it so many times, they were maxing out of effort. And they got to 11th best. So change had to happen. Change is starting to happen. It doesn't happen as fast as people wanted to see or want to see it. But they have to get to a stage where they can manage the schedule and they're not white-knuckling it through this game. It's like, oh, we got to get this one, got to get this one, as Yannick was just saying. you got to become a team that can competitively coast. Yeah, and you know what? It's kind of like – I remember just university-wise, if you have bad study habits, you cram. Sure. Right? And every every single midterm, every single end of year, you're cramming. And you're always regretting why you didn't put the work in earlier or more work in. And, and after a while, you realize you're probably not going to get the grades you need if you put the work, unless you properly study in, in university. Like, it's just not going to happen. You, there's only so much you can do cramming-wise. You have to have a good process of studying. Otherwise, you're not going to have success. Same thing here. Like... You can try to come back in games and, and, and you know, go all out and, and try to do all these things and max out on some games and play all these game sevens. But that's the urgency you have to create for yourself before you get to that back against the wall moment. And that takes a lot of discipline and work. And it comes down to keeping standards high with your top players. And that's what it always comes down to, regardless. Uh, six fifty, six fifty. What happened to the nothing sandwich take? Oh, I, b- I believe I said it's a nothing burger. You did say it's a nothing burger. Nothing burger, not a sandwich. I'm more yes. of a nothing burger guy. And again, for me, I like I'm done with it. It's look, you, like, I'm, I'm, not, you I'm, can understand I'm more done, of the fans. I'm done the yes. Horvat era, yeah, right? Like yeah. I barely mentioned Bo in two months since the trade has happened. This happened unprovoked too, by the way. And so we have common to it. But for me personally, like it's no big deal. I'm focusing on what the Canucks can do, 3.5% chance, 6% chance. How do you make transactions? How do you move forward? For me, again, it's not that big of a deal. 
I understand why the fans are annoyed. Oh, I totally get it. But for me personally, it's it's a nothing burger. I'm focused on what the Canucks can do, not how do I impress the X. <laughs> yeah, I get what you mean. But the X is talking about you. That was the issue, right? Again, okay, well, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, I'm we're done. done. We, we've done enough done. on this. We've done enough on Until this. the next X Canuck talks about it. <sighs> yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, this text. <laughs> Brad ends- May on Thursday, by the way. <laughs> I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll see what he has to say. This one says, Bo don't know phones. <laughs> right, because... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, this question is Hiroshi the next Ben Hutton. Uh, okay. Ooh, that's an interesting comp on this on the scale of Hutton to Stetcher to Tanev. Where does it land? Oh, so I think he's closer to the Stetcher Hutton range rather range. than Stetcher to Tanev. The Stetcher to Tanev. And I agree with that. And that's not that's not a slight. I mean, that's a that's, college free agent. If, by, by the way, that's actually pretty good praise. If yeah, if Akito Hirose is even the next Troy Stetcher, Stretcher's one of like four guys to do what he's done over the past seven eight years. And by the way, Ben Hutton has played four hundred and sixty six games yeah, in the NHL, almost five hundred games. That's a if if he gets to Ben Hutton level, that's a huge. So, look, I understand it's not like oh revolutionary D man. Ben Hutton, to his credit, has played 466 games in the show. He's an NHL defenseman. Now, That's awesome. Yeah, and now, stylistically, they're different players. Yes. Way different players, right? But yeah, I mean, if he can be the next Ben Hutton, play over 400 games in the NHL, and still be in the league, that's a huge victory, huge victory. And I don't think that's an easy thing for him to do. I think he's capable. I think because of how smart he is and how he thinks the game— I think there is something there that if he physically matures and keeps working on his game and improving, that he can play and have a career in the National Hockey League. But there's no foregone conclusion here that he's even playing 200 games, let alone 400 games. And, you know, that's that's kind of what has to happen here. Well, he's at five now. It's a big shout-out to Akita Hirose. No, he's at six. Uh, tonight would have been six. He's half a point a game player, Sat. Yeah. He's, a, he's on a 41-point pace. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk that. Uh, 656.50. I'm surprised the Flames haven't come out and spoken badly about the Canucks yet. <laughs> former Canucks. The whole team is former Canucks. <laughs> it's good. It's strong. I like that take. I like the take. Oh, man. Uh, uh, Shane O'Brien liked Vancouver to City or Vancouver, Vancouver's Roxy specifically? I'm still laughing about the text coming in. Yeah. Uh, the, the person that texted nothing sandwich texting back in i'm more of a nothing shawarma for me <laughs> nothing shawarma. nothing uh, sub or nothing bagel i'm a big shawarma fan big shawarma fan a big shawarma fan all right uh it's time to get to the start of the show to close things out we go to the triple threat the closer the man you see on tv you hear on radio you read on digital he is ian mcintyre i don't think i've ever talked shawarma before you can tell it's getting to the weird portion of the evening. <laughs> yes, it is. The loopy portion. Yeah, that's where we find ourselves now. We're just completely looped out. Well, it's game 81. It so. is game 81, yeah. I'm not even sure how we got this far in the postgame show until you joined us, to be honest. But here we are. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how we got this far in the season. <laughs> it's been a little tough, man. There's it has. a lot of things that have happened. I know, and, and it seems like, you know, as much as we sit here and talk about, hey, this team has no storylines left, but Pedersen gets 100 points, Kuzmenko is a point away from going to goal away from getting 40. So it's not like they haven't given us any storylines still. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the storylines, you know, as, as talk said after, you just 
Whereas the storylines were maybe more team-oriented than individual-oriented. But it also reminds me, uh, partly, just how much work the team has to do, the organization has to do, to actually make them a, a playoff team. Because look at, look at the seasons, the individual seasons that we're seeing. Mm-hmm from some of their players, and yet they're still not even close uh, to being a playoff team in the standings. So, you know, it's it's great, and it's the foundation that we all reference and and cite, uh, rightfully so, as the the biggest reason for optimism. These these great youngish players that the team has, but there's obviously much more to building a winner than just having a few young cornerstone pieces and now the challenge is to to fill it out better than management has has been able to do uh since the edmonton bubble and of course that's um uh, bridging two different regimes as well but their challenge is to fill it out so maybe next year we are talking about a team accomplishment and you know getting 50 wins or getting making it uh, back to the playoffs or heaven forbid dream big win a playoff round uh but you know that said this is it's an incredible thing that uh Pedersen has achieved just as it's been an incredible season for Quinn Hughes an incredible second half or resurrection uh for JT Miller incredible first year in the NHL for Andre Kuzmenko and I would even say an incredible, if we, that's not using the word too much, although I know it is, having just said it five times, <laughs> an incredible uh, recovery at the end for Thatcher Demko for what had been a disastrous start for him. So we, we were touching on him a bit earlier, and you know, for what you're talking about of making this push to, to get to that stage of all those potential accomplishments, incredible accomplishments that they could pull <laughs> off, it's essentially look. There's seven. There's seven wins behind where the Jets are right now, and I look through that stage there of when Demko left. It is how many games? Thirty-five games that he was away for. They went fourteen, nineteen, and two. So it's it's about flipping seven of those results basically just to get to to be to the baseline. But that's essentially what they have to do. And I, I look at someone like Thatcher Demko as being a primary cause of how they can do it next season and the point I was making is I'm looking at the last uh, 16 games that he played rather than the first 15 as what we think about Thatcher Demko yeah and I think you have to and I actually think it's fair as well I don't think it's being naive Mm -hmm. or overly uh, uh, optimistic because the final I believe it's 17 games including tonight uh, that's right but one of you one of you can count tell me if no you're right you're right right. okay the, the final 17 games, I think, is more indicative of the body of work that Demko had built uh, after Jacob Markstrom left a, a couple of years ago. So uh, I don't see this as as an aberration. Uh, I think this is very sustainable uh, for what Thatcher Demko is doing. But your point about um, the point about the the seven wins behind the Jets or or you know, seven wins being short of the playoffs. It's always like that, that cliche so close yet so far Mm -hmm. because it it is such a fine line, but why is it so hard then year after year after year uh, to fail 
to find you know f- finding those extra seven wins it's everyone's looking every team that's missing the playoffs or most of them i mean anaheim is so bad they need 17 wins or something but uh you know most teams have that conversation at the end of the year i remember uh, brock besser telling me in the summer that he felt so badly for the season he had last year because if he'd scored a few more goals that could have been five or five more wins and and they would have might have been a playoff team uh, so it is such a fine line which which you know on one hand gives you uh gives you hope that well you know if you're if they're that close they'll you know just find a way to put them over the top but yet it's it's the same for them and a lot of teams that miss the playoffs they're always talking about those five five to seven more wins and how do you get them yeah, and I mean, you know, beyond this season too, and I think, you know, when we look at this game and, you know, I understand, you know, you're kind of just kind of laughing off the 100-point thing because I don't think there's anything we can see tonight that we saw tonight or can see Thursday that's going to change or inform our opinions in any way, shape, or form, really. So when we look ahead to that final game remaining on Thursday in Arizona, like, what are we looking at? Like, is it just simply like a last preseason game we wait for the end of, you know, starting the season for the season to begin? Or is it kind of like, hey, the last game just to get it out of the way before you get to the offseason? Because what is there really to to be to look at for that for that game? Well, I, I mean, I am curious whether I want to see if Kizmenko can get 40 goals. Yeah, I mean, that would be the main thing. And, I, and I'm not arguing with you about, you know, the the import or yeah. merit of the game. It is, you know, the last game of a, a, another disappointing season, which we've been in garbage time here for a while. But I think, that, you know, you, I think you guys were talking about Akito Hirose, who I think's a remarkable story mm-hmm. considering, you know, he was a college free agent who, you know, maybe was going to get a game or two. And now he's played, He's played a half dozen. He's got three assists, and he, and as good as the passing was on that first uh, uh, Canuck goal, the the pass of the night was his breakaway pass to to Kizmenko, and he's going to get another game, and and Cole McWard's going to get uh, another game, and a- Aiden McDonough was quiet tonight, took a penalty, but you know these are these are you know paramount games for those guys you know, to try to get a little more experience and, and show off to the coaching staff. And, of course, Colin Delia, who who knows uh, where he will be next year. He might be here, but, you know, he's going to get a chance to to play another game. So uh, I think there's uh, – honestly, there's there's always something to watch, but it's just not the stuff to watch that we'd, we'd like to be looking for for Game 82. Uh, there's so much focus on Elias Pettersson. He obviously gets that 100-point uh, season, uh, which is a fantastic individual effort. Uh, but I do like that in the post-game uh, availability, he said, I couldn't have done it without the guys, uh, crediting uh, his teammates in the effort to get to 100 points. Uh, your thoughts on uh, Pettersson for the whole year and just uh, what we're seeing from him moving forward? Well, I didn't use that quote because it doesn't really mean anything, and every every player just says that it's a platitude. And but and he it, knew it, it he knew that, that he had to say it, Ian. Yeah. Well, I think he was even led to it. I can't remember. I didn't ask the question. I think the the question was led. He he was led that way, I believe. Okay. Um, which is uh, uh, 
a major problem now in journalism. Don't get me off on a on a rant here, but we we sometimes complain about the quality of the answers that we get when we phrase uh, a question as a cliche. You're going to get a cliche back, but. Uh, that's neither here nor there. That'll be. That's a great point, Ian. That's a great. We'll point. save that rant for game eighty-two. It really, that's that'll one be of the things that annoy me as well when I listen sometimes. Yes. Yeah. So, anyways, that's you know, if I ever get another job in a second career uh, teaching journalism, that'll be in probably a day one a day one course. But I think you know what is Pedersen season meant? I, I mean, it's a, it was a, it was unthinkable fifteen months ago that he could do this. He had, he had six goals in the first half of last season. I believe, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong, I believe some people in Canucks Nation were advocating that Pedersen should be traded, that he was never going to be the same player after that wrist injury. Here he is 15 months later as the sixth player in Canucks history to get, to get 100 points, and he's the 12th Swede to ever do it. Uh, Eric Carlson beat him there by one spot, by one day, yesterday, um, and, and it's it's remarkable how he has come back this year, and he's provided all of this offense while, as we know, also digging in defensively and making a conscious effort to be a 200 foot player. It's too bad the Canucks don't have those seven more wins because I think he would he. I mean, nobody's beating Patrice Bergeron uh, for the Selkie, but he would be in the conversation for sure, and should be for his two-way play. It was it was uh, a remarkable season for him. And the best thing is, because he's still only 24 years old, because he's only now sort of fully um, developing that 200-foot game, uh, I think he's, he's still getting better. And... Um, you know, Besser, Brock Besser, among others, said tonight that he thinks he thinks this isn't the only time we're going to see Pedersen score 100 points. No, I don't think so either. And I think there is an, at least one more level left in Elias Pedersen's game. And, you know, uh, next season, we'll see ultimately how much higher he can take it. And, Ian, it's always a pleasure getting you on the postgame show. I know we couldn't make it work uh, yet last night uh, in the game between the Canucks and the uh, L.A. Kings. But we have still one more game to discuss and that is on Thursday from Arizona where you end the season as well so we look forward to having one final post-game chat on Thursday when the Canucks visit the Coyotes to wrap up their season well I will look forward to that as well but I'll be talking to you from the, the cluttered comfort of my home office because oh, yeah, I'm flying home tomorrow so I'll be watching <laughs> on TV writing off the TV on on Thursday and looking forward to talking to you guys one more time. We have one more this season yeah, is over. One more game to discuss and we'll see if Kuzmenko gets 40 and Pedersen gets 40 and we have a few more numbers to discuss and really take put our sights towards the off season. But great stuff as always Ian, a great coverage. I look forward to reading your latest on sportsnet.ca and we'll chat again coming up on Thursday. I look forward to it. Good night, fellas. You got it. Have a good evening. That is Ian McIntyre, and that brings us to the end of the postgame show here, Bick. And we're back at it again tomorrow. Is IMAC on with you tomorrow, Wednesday? Am I wrong about uh, that? Traditionally, yes. Yes, okay. Tomorrow, no. No, okay. He will not be. All right. What's going on in the People Show tomorrow? Chris Faber tomorrow. Oh, nice. Talk some prospects, some uh, yeah. Abbasur Canucks as well. Abby Canucks. Play- they're making the playoffs. Playoffs? Yeah. They're going. Yeah. 
So we'll talk about a bunch of stuff. Yeah, look Plus, uh, you know, the, the new segment on the show, free takes. Oh, free takes. Things that you can tell us for free. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't have to be about the Canucks. Doesn't have to be about sports. Free takes tomorrow. I like it. I'll tell you that for free. That's yeah. a new segment on uh, the People Show. Oh. Ben had a great one uh, on the debut episode of uh, Free Takes. Really? What was it? Saying that uh, live golfers. Take about the live golfers. Ben. Uh, what was your take, Ben? Drop that take again. I just said that they proved they can still play. They're some of the best in the world. There's right. three of them in the top six at the Masters. And, and he told us that for free. And the best part was we didn't have to pay for it. It's great. It's been and I will. Takes. I'll tell you that for free. Yeah. I mean, unlike our content, that's usually also free. This is more free. Extra. <laughs> I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> Certainly. All right. We'll have a lot of fun with that. Uh, so that's the People Show coming up tomorrow. I'm back on Canuck Central. Myself and Dan Riccio. Wednesdays means overrated, underrated. So we'll have a lot of fun with that. Plus, Kevin Woodley will, jo- will join us. We are going to go in-depth do a bit of a deeper dive into the season Thatcher Demko had, how he closed off the year, and what that all means for the future. We'll dig into that tomorrow on Canuck Central. Thanks to all of you for listening, being part of the post-game show. We have one more game to go, and that is coming up on Thursday between the Canucks and the Coyotes. And to the person who asked, are you guys going to be around for the summer? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Bix still here with the People Show, uh, and Canuck Central still going to be here up until July, the first week of July. Uh, yeah, there'll be some time off over the course of the summer, but whether it's me, whether it's Bick, Dan, we'll still be around doing shows. But shows as they stand, like the Canuck Central show, the People show, yeah, you can expect us throughout the reg- uh, the postseason, into the off season, into the first couple weeks of July as well. Yeah, we're not players. We don't have 82-game contracts. No, man. We're, we're here year-round. 100%. Uh, Dino says, good night, Bick. Good night, Sad. Good night, Dino. Good night to all of you. And can't wait to be back chatting with you again on Thursday and tomorrow. This has been the Connect Center Post Game Show on the Home of Your Canucks, Sportsnet 650, and the Sportsnet Radio Network.